may be seated for a couple minutes. Usually, uh, once a year, I uh, will do a message sometimes a year during worship, uh, on the topic of worship. Uh, but I thought for this year, what I'm going to do is just take two or three minutes at the beginning of our worship set to uh, talk about worship. And uh, because we spend the first 40 minutes of every gathering here in worship, and that, that's a long time. And so we want to make sure that time is, is the most uh, meaningful time possible, that uh, we are engaged with that time. And, uh, and so uh, just over the next number of weeks, I want to talk two or three minutes on the subject of making worship meaningful. And the first thing I want to point out is uh, that when you come here, to always realize that the true you, who you really are in Christ, always wants to worship. Uh, we may come in here at times feeling, and I do sometimes, you know, I don't know if I really want to worship. And whenever you ask, you, you're thinking that question, I don't know if I really want to worship, you always got to ask, who is saying that? Is that the old you? Or is that the new you? Because the Bible says you have a, a new you, and the old is gone, you have, you have died with Christ, and the old you is not you. But the new you, the new you always wants to worship. Uh, it may look differently. I mean, maybe you've had a fantastic week, and, and worship for you is going to be very jumping and, and exciting. Maybe you had a very difficult week, and your worship may look more, I just need to receive your love right now, God. But no matter what you are going through, your spirit always wants to worship. And if you ever feel like you don't, that's where you take thoughts captive and make it obedient to Christ and just remind yourself, the true me, who I really am in Christ, always wants to worship. So let's stand as we continue. All right, we've been uh, working through a series on prayer. This is the third message in. And today we're going to talk about praying and uh, not giving up. It's one of those things we can be tempted for uh, in, is that when we've been praying for something for a long time and we don't see uh, the answer coming about, we can be tempted to give up. But Jesus tells us very clearly that we are to pray and not give up. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Just a quick review. We've been talking a lot about this over the last uh, couple weeks, uh, that often the difference between God's will being done and not being done is prayer. That often the difference between God's will being done and not being done is, is our prayers. And we've looked at lots of different scriptures. It's all throughout the scripture that often when God has, uh, he desires for something to happen, that often the only way it happens is when you or I step in the gap and we get, begin to pray. Uh, Matthew 6 is one of those verses. And this is was the model prayer. This then is how you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God actually asks us in the model prayer that we be praying, God, would your will be done? God, would your will be done? Now, if God's will are just automatically done all the time, then there would be no use for this prayer. It doesn't make any sense. But we see, again, all throughout the scripture that often the difference between God's will being done and not being done is prayer. And we know that God's will is awesome, and his will is the most amazing thing. That's why heaven is heaven, is because it's a place where God's will, God's will is done. And so if you want to see more of the kingdom in your life, you want to have more of God's will done in your workplace or in your own life or in this church, then we need to be people of prayer. And so that's what we talked about the uh, last couple of weeks. We uh, looked at this verse last week as well, 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have an approaching God. 
In other words, this is something that we can be incredibly confident in. And that is this. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears it. Hears us. Again, if God's will were always done, this would make no sense. But he says, if we ask something according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And, and it says we can be confident in this. That if we pray something according to God's will, then we know he's heard us. And then we know that we have what we have asked of him. And this is why it is incredibly important for us to learn the character of God uh, seek his will, because the more our prayers are in line with God's will, uh, the, we're just going to see a lot more answers. And so we can have confidence that when we approach God and pray according to his will, that he hears us and that we know that we have what we asked of him. But we know that sometimes this doesn't happen instantly. That there are many times, actually, where we pray something according to God's will, but it will take Prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer before it actually we actually see the answer. And to help with this, we are going to look at Matthew or Luke chapter 18. And uh, Jesus tells us a story about prayer. And he says, one day uh, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus tells us that we are to always pray and never give up. And so he tells a story to help us with this, because we all know that at times we are tempted to give up. When you've been praying for a loved one, and uh, just maybe they don't know Jesus, or uh, maybe there's a struggle in their life, and you've been praying for, for months or even for years. And perhaps you see, I don't see anything happening, and you go, I'm pretty sure this is God's will for this not to be in, in this person's life. And, and, and we, I'm supposed to have confidence that if I pray something according to God's will, I know that he hears me, and I know that I have what I've asked of him, but that if I keep praying, it doesn't seem to be working, so I'm just going to give up. Maybe there's a struggle in your own life, and, and you've been praying and praying and praying, and, and you're just ready to give up. I mean, there have been times in my life where I've been praying for things for a long time and, and have given up praying. And then as I'm reading through the Bible, I come across this text again. I go, oh, yes, I must not give up. Because there is a role, a huge role in persistent prayer if you want to see answers to prayer. In fact, I think one of the biggest things that causes defeat in prayer is that we don't stay persistent in our prayers. And because we're so tempted to give up, and Jesus knew this, he actually gives us a story. He actually helps us when we are tempted to give, to give up on our prayers. Jesus says, remember the story. And this is the story. He says, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And so there are two characters in the story. One is a judge, one is a widow. This judge is not a good judge. Uh, he's not in his position because he cares about fair decisions. He's not in his position because he cares about justice. He is in there solely for his own selfish reasons. It says he does not care about people and he doesn't fear God. And so he has no heart for this widow. He doesn't give a rip about this widow. Uh, this is the kind of judge that, that if you want a decision, you've got to pay off. This is the kind of judge that does favor for his political friends who help him keep his position. But he doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about this widow at all. And he's not convicted. 
because he does not fear God. This judge is selfish. He's in the position for self. He's all about self. And this widow keeps coming. He doesn't, he doesn't even care about this widow at all. And the other character, of course, is the widow, who in those days would typically be very poor, uh, would be sort of the, uh, uh, kind of the, the lowest of, of class, kind of, and they would just be struggling through life. And somehow, someone has wronged this widow. And you just talk to Dean a little bit about what happens over in Africa often with widows who, uh, you know, people come in and steal their crops. And I mean, I mean something has, has wronged this widow, and, uh, and, and she can't solve it on her own. You know? And so she goes to the judge. She's supposed to bring justice and says, you know, you've got to hear this case. Someone has wronged me. You need to bring justice. But again, this judge doesn't even care at all. Uh, the, judge, the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. I mean, he actually admits he's a jerk, right? <laughs> he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And so he finally says, okay, I'm going to bring justice into this issue, but it has nothing to do with his love for her. It has nothing to do with his love for justice. It has everything to do with self. This is just annoying me. And I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying to get some work done. You know, I'm trying to think about myself more. And this woman keeps just ignoring me, annoying me. And so he comes to her aid simply out of selfish reasons. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So he actually had a just decision. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. And so the whole point of the story is what you would call a lesser to greater argument. Even though this mean, nasty, selfish judge gave in to this woman who was bugging him, how much more? Will God, who is good and loving and great, answer your requests, requests when you keep coming to him? In other words, the point of the parable partly is God is not like this judge, and you are not like this widow. God is not like this judge. This judge didn't fear God. He didn't care about people. God cares tremendously about you. Uh, God's love for you is a greater and deeper love for you than anybody else in this universe. He knows the hair on your head. He catches your tears in a bottle, it says in Psalms. He knows you inside and out. He loves you so much that even when you were going astray, he sent Jesus to die for you on a cross. I mean, God's love for you is immense because he is love. He can't just be 95% loving to you uh, because God is love. He is always 100% loving to you. He loves you. God is not like this judge. And you are not like this widow. Notice what it says here. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people? You are not an isolated, poor widow who is alone. You are God's chosen people. You are his dearly loved child. You have access to the throne room of grace. The Bible says you can boldly go into the very presence of God because of what Jesus has done. You are his child. Uh, God is not like this judge. You are not like this widow. 
And so the argument is a lesser to greater argument that if, if this persistent widow bugs this judge and he brings a just decision, how much more will God in heaven when he is good and loving and you are his uh, beloved children? But then he says this at the end of the story. But when the Son of Man returns... How many will he find out? Uh, how many will he find on earth who have faith? When the Son of Man comes, is, is he going to see faith in us? And this bridges back to the first verse in, in Luke eighteen one: Always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Jesus, when I come back, will, will I see people still have faith? In other words, they've been praying and praying and praying, and maybe the answer isn't seen. Uh, are, are you still going to have faith in what Jesus says when he says, pray and don't give up? But what we must not do, but what we must not do is think God is like this judge, because sometimes people do. Uh, sometimes people think that prayer is about begging God, that God somehow is, you know, kind of like the Scrooge up there, and uh, he doesn't really care for us, you know. You know, you're the, you're the nasty child, and you have this request, and you keep, you know, please, Dad, please, Father, will you give this to me? Please, pretty, please. And, and you're just bugging him, because, and you just feel that like he's annoyed with you, and, and you've got to do all these kind of things, maybe to catch his attention, because God doesn't really want to answer you, because somehow you think that God is like this judge. God is not like this judge. And Satan will do whatever he can, especially when our prayers aren't answered immediately. He will do whatever he can to plant lies in our mind that God really doesn't love us. That the reason he's not answering your prayer is because, you know, he's just not happy with you. He does not, he does not love you. Uh, or God is not good. And God is actually an angry God. And, and that's why he's not answering your prayers. And Satan will try to plant these lies in you. But, but they're lies. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. God is better than we could ever think. He is love, and he is always, always good in whatever he does. But at the same time, there are times when we are asking for things, and the answer doesn't come right away. And this is where we need to have faith. That if we pray anything according to God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have what we have asked, asked of him. And this is kind of the strange mystery of prayer. Uh, throughout the scripture, like in John 16, uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And, and, and all of us probably have, have these times when we just pray once for something, and it's like, wow, <laughs> the answer came right away. I mean, I've had incredible things that have happened in my life, and I've only prayed once. And then there are times when I'm praying for something which I think is way more important, and it's just not happening. But the strange mystery about prayer is, ask whatever and you will receive it. But also, Jesus says, always pray and never give up. Yeah. Meaning, there are going to be lots of times we're going to be tempted to give up. If we were never tempted to give up in prayer, Jesus wouldn't have said this. He would just say, always pray. <laughs> because he never gave up, right? No, he says, always pray and never, ever give up. Because there are times when we are praying for something and, and we know it's God's will. I mean, praying maybe for a marriage. And we know God's will is always for a marriage to thrive. Or praying for a church or whatever it might be. Or praying according to his word. Or praying scripture. And we know it's God's will. But there are times we need to pray and not give, give up. And we see this throughout the Bible, lots of story, sto uh, stories of this. I mean, uh, in Jeremiah, when the Israelites made a bad decision, it's a long story, but they just made a bad decision. They go and ask Jeremiah, 
we need to hear a word from the Lord. And uh, Jeremiah says, I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you've requested. I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. And so he goes and begins to pray for this, God, we need to hear your voice in this situation. It's really messy. And then it says this. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah the prophet. He's got a, one of the biggest books in the Bible. I mean, this is an amazing guy. Ten days later, then he hears the voice of God. I mean, sometimes it might be a day later. Sometimes it might be two years later. But there are times when we are to pray and not give up. And guaranteed, Jeremiah didn't say, God, I need to hear your voice. Give it to me. And then just like went on and did everything else, you know, making dinner or whatever. Uh, he, this was probably persistent prayer. God, we really need to hear your voice on this. But it took ten days. Uh, we see in, uh, in First Kings, we looked at this a few weeks ago, when the word of the, word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. God clearly states that I'm bringing rain. Clearly it's his will to bring rain. Clearly he's going to do it. But Elijah later goes and he actually prays for this to happen. Because again, often the difference between God's will being done and not done is prayer. He knew it was God's will. He knew God said he was going to do it. But he still goes and he prays. And he doesn't just pray this is wimpy little prayer. Uh, but it talks about uh, he bent down to the ground to put his face between his knees. That was the, the ancient birthing position. They call this the birthing prayer. This is intense, uh, 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 persistent prayer. For God's will to happen, even though God said he was going to do it, he still knows he's got to pray about it. And he doesn't just pray once, but seven times he is praying persistently and desperately that God's will, which he said he was going to do, for it to happen. And then rain comes. Now people say, well, it's probably just coincidence. I mean, it was God's will. God said it was going to happen. Uh, so it's just probably coincidence it happened. But the thing about that is, in the book of James, Elijah gets the credit. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. He talks about how Elijah prayed and rain came. I mean, I get often the difference between God's will being done and not done is prayer. But often it's going to take persistent prayer. Even though God said it was going to happen and it was his will, it didn't happen the first time he prayed. It happened on the seventh time. Sometimes it happens on the 100th time. Sometimes it happens on the third time. But there is a need for persistent prayer. We see this again throughout our Bible history. I mean, for sure, it's God's will for revival. I mean, God would love nothing more than people, everybody, to be revived in him and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and living for him and with full kingdom purposes. I mean, that's what revival is. But you know, it only happens through persistent prayer. Blackaby said this, studying revival throughout history will reveal that they are not all identical. Revivals... In Wales, in New England, Kentucky, Korea, India, Rwanda, and South Africa have characteristics unique to the people and social environments in which they occurred. However, in every revival, the consistent denominator is fervent, faithful, persistent, righteous prayer. Amen. Amen. And, and there are countless people who have studied revival, and the one thing they can come conclude to is that revival somehow is birthed in a persistent prayer. Even though God would love to have it all the time, but there's something about our prayer that brings God's will to bear on a situation, and often it's going to take persistent prayer. Sometimes I like it like a bucket. You ever been to these water parks? 
that have the big bucket up top. And uh, it just slowly fills up with water. And at some point, it dumps. At some point, when it gets full enough, it dumps. And, you know, everybody kind of, as it gets fuller, everybody starts to crowd around because nobody knows when the bucket's going to dump. But it's going to happen at some point, and then all of a sudden, it dumps. Often prayers like this, that it's like a bucket, and our prayers begin to fill the bucket. And we slowly begin to fill. Every single prayer adds to the bucket. Every one of your prayers is important. Every prayer adds to the bucket, but we don't know when it's going to tip. Is it going to be now? Is it going to be next week? Is it going to be now? But every prayer just adds to the bucket. And eventually, there's something that occurs in the spiritual realm and God's heart or whatever the, the block is, all of a sudden the, the, the bucket dumps and, and the answer is received. Every drop of water that goes into that bucket is extremely important. Every drop counts. And every single one of your prayers counts. It is used by God. It is meaningful because God uses persistent prayer to bring about uh, answers to prayer in His will. Now, why persistent prayer? I'm going to mention a few things because there could be a lot of things. Uh, in fact, we did a whole series on unanswered prayer uh, a couple years ago. I think it's probably on our channel, but we spent uh, like six weeks talking about unanswered prayer. But uh, why persistent prayer? Uh, one may be this, that sometimes our greatest need is actually God himself. Sometimes our greatest need is God himself. I can see, because God is a loving father, I can see God at times saying, Jesse, you know, I would really love to give you this, and I think it'd be cool. But right now, what you need more than that is me. And so the only way I can get you to get more of me is to have you keep coming into my presence and asking. Keep coming into my presence and asking. Because I don't know about you, but I would be probably one of those people, if God answered every one of my prayers immediately, you know, I'd be like, God, give me this. Be, yeah, I go running. And, and uh, I probably wouldn't spend a lot of time in this presence. But it's those times when we have to keep coming back and say, God, am I hearing you right on this? God, would you release your glory in this area, and you pray persistently, and the next day you come back. I mean, it just causes you to spend more time in his presence. God may be looking at this thing and saying, That's, it's wonderful, that is awesome, but right now, what you need is, is, is my presence. Uh, sometimes God needs to do a refining work in us. Again, God may look at us and say, yep, that prayer is totally according to my will, and that's great. I want to release that into you, but first... I need to do some refining in your heart. First, I need to know that you're going to be faithful with this thing that I'm going to give you. First, I want to know that your character is going to be able to handle what I'm about to pour out on you. In Psalm 84, it says, The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. It is amazing what God will do for someone who puts them first. It is absolutely mind-blowing what God will do for someone who puts them first. No good thing will we withhold from those who do right. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. God will give you the desires of your heart. There, there is amazing what God will do when you put him first. But all of us have things where God's not first. And there are times where God will say, I need to do a little refining work in you before I bring about that. And this is where persistent prayer comes in. In Zechariah, says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. Notice the answer to the prayer comes after the refining. Because sometimes God is saying, you know, I want to do this, but you're just not ready to carry that yet. Uh, God, I want to I pour this out. I want to use you in this way. I want to answer that prayer. But your character is just not quite ready for this yet. You're, you're going to get crushed. And so 
We pray persistently. We pray in there. And as we're praying, sometimes God begins to work in things because when we're persistently praying, it means we're persistently going into his presence and his presence always transforms. When you spend time in his presence, you are transformed. And often those character defects or whatever it might be just begin to get worked out as we come to him in persistent prayer. Uh, this was the case in John Wimber. Uh, John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard. Uh, he undoubtedly was used uh, to heal thousands upon thousands of people. He had one of the great healing ministries of the last hundred years. Uh, just amazing stories that came out of his ministry. But you know when he began praying for people, I think I've told this before, no one was healed. And he, he prayed for hundreds of people, and, and no one was healed. He had a healing services, and no one was healed. And, but he kept praying, he kept persisting. In fact, there were times when he gave up and got just discouraged. And there's one time he got discouraged, and, and he got this phone call from this lady at his church, and, and said, would you come and pray for me? He goes over, and he, and he, just, he just prays this lame prayer, because he kind of gave up on it. And all of a sudden, this woman was completely healed. <laughs> And from then on, he had, like, thousands of people were healed. I mean, just miraculous stories. But God's will is to heal. Yeah, God loves healing. But it didn't happen for a long time. It took persistent prayer before God said, you know what? Now you're ready, John. This is what he says about it. He says, this period of failure was a learning experience. A time in which I was purged of my pride and self-sufficiency. I was humiliated. I was humbled. God had to first cleanse a vessel before it was fit to fill with this precious oil of healing. I believe God began to heal the sick through me only after I came to a place of total dependence on his grace and mercy. There are times when God just was like, I really want to do this in you, but let's do some refining work first. Let's, let's just shape this area of your life so that when you receive it, you carry it in the right way. Where you don't walk in pride, where you don't think it's all about you, but the right glory goes to the right place. And so sometimes it's that persistent prayer. Again, it brings us into God's presence time and time again. And God's presence transforms us. And it can bring us to a place where then God says, okay, now is the time. Now is the time. Uh, sometimes it's God working out circumstances around you. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. And sometimes God has to clear the way. As like John the Baptist talked about, taking the valleys and making them into mountains. I mean, sometimes God has to clear the way. And sometimes this can take time. Because God does not force his will upon people. And so if you're praying for somebody, maybe a loved one, you know, God, would you change that person's heart in that area? Or God, would you bring this, per this person, they need to know you, and would you work, and would you, would you save them, would you work, and, and you're praying that God would open. I mean, God doesn't like force his will upon people. But what God will do through his prayers is he'll hover over that person by his Holy Spirit, and he'll begin to influence that people. He will make certain connections where finally that person over time has had enough influence from others in situations where they begin to say, you know what, I actually do need to change. It's not God forcing his will upon someone. It's God influencing that person to that person out of their own will says, I really think following Jesus is the best thing in the world. And it can take time for God to work in someone's heart and work in certain ways and influence people till they're in the right position where your prayer is answered. So don't give up praying for that person who needs salvation. 
Again, every one of your prayers count. Every one of your prayers adds to the bucket before it's tipped. Don't give up praying for those things because God may just be clearing. He may be working, taking every one of your prayers. And I can use that. And I can shape that person. I can use that. I can hover over that person. I can use that. Pray and don't give up. George Mueller has an awesome story about this. I think I've shared this before. Uh, George Mueller, just an awesome biography. You know, everyone read a biography about prayer. He looked out at the church in his day, and he saw that the church had given up on prayer. And so he was praying, God, how can I show the church that the prayer works? How can I show the church that prayer is the most powerful thing ever? And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start an orphanage, and I'm going to power it on prayer. I'm not going to do any asking for money. I'm not going to do any asking for anything. I'm just going to just power this orphanage on prayer. And his story is just mind-blowing. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle because he just prayed for everything. And the orphanage grew, and it's, but he prayed for more than just, just his orphanage. But he also prayed for people who did not know Jesus. And he understood this principle. Sometimes it takes time to work things out. Sometimes our prayers need to add out, and God uses those prayers, and eventually that person is brought to a place where they... I'll just read the story. This is his words in his, in his uh, diary. In November 1844, uh, I, not a one, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health or on the land or on the sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. This was a guy who knew how to pray and not give up. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. The man to whom God, in the riches of his grace, has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the same hour of the day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals. In other words, he says, and he had tens of thousands of prayers that were answered miraculously and instantly. But in this case, 30 plus years he's still praying for this one, for, for the, more of his friends to be converted. Uh, I've been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals, and yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God, and I pray on, and yet look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And then he passes away. And after he passes away, every single one of those people he was praying for came to the Lord. Man, I don't want to break this bad news, but sometimes it can take 36 years or plus. I mean, uh, but, 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 but it's, it's a mystery. There are times when God just answers right away. It's like, wow, it's amazing. Sometimes it takes time because of circumstances and the nature of free will and the sovereignty of God and all those kinds of things. Uh, it may be something going on in the spiritual realm. There are times when God says, yep, I want to answer this prayer. But because of things going on in the spiritual world, uh, it doesn't happen or it doesn't happen right away. Ephesians 6 tells us, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
I mean, I know we had a hard time, we have a hard time grasping this in our Western world, but there is a whole spiritual world going on. And there are good angels, and there are evil angels, there are good spiritual beings and bad spiritual beings. I mean, and there are battles that take place, and they so much affect our real world that Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood. But our battle, our main battle, is actually uh, dealing with spiritual battles that affect the way we live and interact uh, with, with what we are doing. But sometimes those can affect our prayers, the battle going on. In Daniel, we see the angel came to answer Daniel's prayer. And, and the angel says, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. In other words, Daniel prayed. And God says, yep, let's answer that. He sends out the angel the moment he prays. But then let's look what happens. But the prince of the Persian of the kingdom, this is an evil spiritual being, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, this is another this is a chief angel, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there in the, in the king, with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people. In other words, Daniel prays. The angel is released, but he gets caught up in a spiritual battle for 21 days before he gets to Daniel. I mean, sometimes there are things you're praying about and for, and, and there's just a spiritual battle going on that we can't see, and so the answer doesn't appear right away. But again, you've got to know that every one of your prayers adds to the bucket. Every one of your prayers helps the battle. You remember Moses standing on the hill as Joshua was fighting the Amalekites? I mean, that could be a picture of us praying over the spiritual battle. Every one of his prayers made a difference in the battle. Every single one of your prayers makes a difference in the spiritual battle that we are in. So pray and don't give, give up. And lastly, a large part of this is just a mystery. I mean, there are things that I'm praying for. It's like, I'm, I'm 100% sure this is your will. And it's just, it's just not happening right away. And, and, and I'm praying and praying and praying. Probably all of us have those things. Sometimes it's a mystery. And there's mysteries all throughout the scripture. One of these mysteries is Mark chapter 8. I said some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, well, I see people, they look like trees walking around. In other words, he wasn't completely healed. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It, it seemed pretty much every time Jesus prayed for somebody in the Gospels, they were healed instantly. But this guy, Jesus prays for him, and he's not completely healed, and he prays again, and then he is healed. And this is Jesus. He's like, awesome, right? And he had to pray twice. Now, why, why was he healed the first time? And we can take lots of guesses, and lots of scholars take lots of guesses, but what the bottom line that comes down to is we just don't know. There's a mystery at times. There's a mystery sometimes we have to keep praying for something that seems so good and writing guys, it's a line of this character, it's a line of this love, and, and it's just not happening. There is a mystery in this, but we know in the end that Jesus told us to pray and not give up. We know that James, or John tells us that if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know we have what we ask for him. And there's this persistent prayer that kind of bridges those two pieces. We can put it this way. It's kind of like a Jenga, a Jenga block. 
I was going to bring it, but I forgot. We know in Jenga, you take a block from the bottom and you put it on top, right? And that's the way it goes. <laughs> I don't know if you still saw this game, but when I was a kid, we used to play it all the time. Uh, but you take a block from the bottom and you put it on top, but the whole time you're, you're doing things, but you never know when it's going to fall. You've got to guess sometimes because it has to wiggle, but sometimes it falls right away. Sometimes you've got to keep doing it. And sometimes the thing is like, how is this thing still standing? But you know that every time you move a block, block it's getting closer to falling. And it's the way we need to see prayer. That every time you pray, you're moving a block out of the puzzle and you're putting it on top. And every time you pray, it's getting closer to the answer. Just like every drop of water that hits that bucket is getting closer to being dumped and, and releasing that. And so, I mean, sometimes there are just walls and barriers or towers in our life that we need to get rid of. And as we pray, we're taking a block from the bottom and we're putting it on top and it's going to fall. Maybe it's today. Maybe when you go for prayer after, maybe it's today. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's a year from now. I, I don't know. But we know that God answers prayer. We see that all the time. But we know sometimes it takes, it takes persistence. And one more verse and then we're done. I like this concept of persistent prayer. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard it somewhere. And this is the idea of prayers and bowls in Revelation 5. It says, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were hold, holding golden bowls, or a white bowl, full of incense which are the prayers of the people. It's like this picture of heaven of these guys holding bowls, and in the bowls is the prayers of the people. Like how precious are our prayers that, that God holds them in a bowl? But they're held, and I, and I think persistent prayer, and, and this is not scriptural, but this is using our imagination uh, to help us with this, is, is, is that every prayer is just adding to this bowl. You're just adding to this bowl, and eventually, because it's a tippy bowl, this, this bowl is going to tip. And you never know when the bowl of your prayers is going to tip. I mean, maybe, maybe this bowl is going to take two prayers like Jesus did for that healing. Maybe it's going to take three years like it did for George Mueller and saving some of his friends. Maybe it's going to be 36 years, but we know that every prayer is held in a bowl in heaven. And it's precious. There is not a wasted prayer. And every prayer gets in the bowl closer to the place where it's tipped. Pray and don't give up. You never know when the bowl of your prayers is going to tip. You never know when that answer is going to come. So pray and don't give up. Have faith in prayer. Jesus said, I mean, it's all over. We have the faith in prayer, but we also need to realize sometimes it takes time, but we don't lose faith. We know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if we ask according to his will, it shall be given to us. So, Father, we ask that you would give us patience in prayer. God, I pray right now if there's anyone in this room who has given up praying for something in their own life, God, maybe for a loved one, they have given up praying that someone would, would change their heart and open their heart to you. God, I pray you'd seal this word in their hearts because this is coming right from you, Jesus. Pray and don't give up. Pray and don't give up. And so, God, we continue to pray that you would pour out just answer to prayer in a church. I'm so thankful for the many, many answers to prayer uh, that uh, I get emailed every week and people say, ah, oh, this prayer was answered. And God, we just, just thank you. So God, would you cause our heart to be in line with you? God, would your will be our will that we might pray in line with your spirit? 
God, I pray you would give, get rid of any selfish prayers that we have. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.